Hello everyone, this is Eve with the Blue-Haired Feminist Podcast. Today we're going to talk about the history of the Manosphere and organized online harassment. I'll do a brief overview of Gamergate as well. And the Gamergate wiki actually does a great job of breaking down what it was about and who the most well-known victims and influential people were, what happened, and what the impact was on the future of online harassment campaigns. I'll put a number of links in the episode notes so you can see where I got some of the information on these topics, and do further research and reading yourself if you're interested. So men's rights have been mentioned in publications as far back as the 1800s. There were several smaller groups that popped up in the 1970s and 80s that were about men's rights and focused on particular issues. The men's liberation movement emerged around the early 1970s, And at that time, men's rights scholars believed that sexism is harmful to women and also that gender roles and patriarchy were harmful to men. There was an emphasis at the time on how child support, draft requirements, stoicism, and masculinity were placing unhealthy pressure on men. And the men's rights movement was trying to attract men to feminism. In the late 1970s, the men's liberation movement fractured with some retaining the original beliefs and the men's rights movement going on with anti-feminism and the belief that modern society emasculated men. There were a lot of economic, political, and societal changes in the late 1970s to early 1980s that caused unrest and paranoia and led to the separation of the men's rights activists from the men's liberation movement. Men's rights activists believed that white men were in crisis and that women and feminism were to blame. Sound familiar? As I've mentioned before, the Manosphere consists of different groups such as MRAs, which are the men's rights activists, MGTOWs, which is men going their own way, incels, red pills, and pickup artists. Currently, I would add dating coaches and passport bros and the father's rights folks. The different subgroups hold a central belief that society is gynocentric, and that men, especially white men, are the true victims of a misandrist feminist society, and that there is a need to fight back against feminism and things like political correctness. This feminist and female-ran society is referred to by some in the Manosphere as a gynocracy, and there's a belief that men in the Manosphere have taken the red pill. They know the truth about what society is all about, and the ones who don't believe in the conspiracy of the gynocracy-ruled, marginalized white man narrative are said to be blue-pilled. And yes, they did get that metaphor from the movie The Matrix. The internet has been the driving factor in the popularization of men's rights activists and the manosphere. And the belief system that men are the victims of women in a feminist society sets up this environment where Online harassment and the vilification of feminists, women, single mothers, and what they call social justice warriors thrives. The most well-known example of this toxic online harassment culture would be Gamergate, where male gamers and MRAs use social media to attack feminists, female video game critics, and developers. They claim to care about ethics and journalism, and they didn't want their typical video game content to change to something other than the skill-based, frequently violent format that was typical at the time, and they wanted to keep so-called politics out of video games. This happened in 2014 and 2015, and the main victims were Brianna Wu, Zoe Quinn, and Anita Sarkeesian.
The people who carried this out were internet trolls, mainly from 4chan, internet relay chat, and 8chan. So in 2013, Zoe Quinn released a video game called Depression Quest, which was a text-based game designed to give the player the experience of what it is like to live with depression, which was partially based on their own personal experience. The game got positive reviews in both gaming media and from mental health professionals, but it also received some backlash from gamers online who didn't like the deviation from traditional video game formats and who also were opposed to what they called political intrusions into video game culture. Quinn was harassed online for several months, even receiving rape and death threats. Quinn apparently documented the harassment and talked to the media about it, which we all know from experience just caused more harassment. They were doxxed and had to leave their home in fear. So Gamergate kicked off in August 2014 when Quinn's ex released a lengthy blog post about their relationship and breakup, containing things like personal chat logs, texts, and emails. The blog falsely implied that Quinn traded a positive review of the game for sexual favors with the reporter Nathan Grayson, who had never actually reviewed any of Quinn's games. And Quinn's ex even later stated he had no evidence of a sexual relationship, but the damage was already done. So it looks like it was implied or inferred from that blog post by the people who started the harassment campaign against Quinn. A link to the blog was posted to 4chan, which renewed their harassment against Quinn, and it was initially called Quinspiracy, which was later changed to Gamergate thanks to the actor Adam Baldwin, who tweeted about it. Baldwin had about 190,000 Twitter followers at the time who helped spread the hashtag. Milo Yiannopoulos, the right-wing journalist, further popularized the hashtag on Breitbart News and became one of the biggest voices of Gamergate and the anti-feminist movement. The misogynistic attacks against Quinn again included doxing and several of their social media accounts were hacked. Quinn was sent more rape and death threats had to leave home again, and the people doing the harassment even hacked anyone who they thought were friends of Quinn's. Anita Sarkeesian was included in the harassment campaign when she released a new episode of Tropes vs. Women in Video Games. She had previously been the subject of harassment in 2012, partially because of the series. She received rape threats and death threats and was doxxed and forced to flee her home. Now, I'm going to read straight from the wiki for this next part. Sarkeesian canceled an October 2014 speaking experience at Utah State University after the school received three anonymous threats, the second of which claimed affiliation with Gamergate. The initial threat proposed that a Montreal massacre-style attack will be carried out against the attendees as well as students and staff at the nearby Women's Center. Alluding to the E. coli Polytechnic Massacre, a 1989 mass shooting motivated by anti-feminism. The threat also said that I have at my disposal a semi-automatic rifle, multiple pistols, and a collection of pipe bombs. The threats got the attention of mainstream media and the FBI investigated. Get this. They failed to figure out who some of the perpetrators were and declined to prosecute others. In October of that year, 
Brianna Wu, who is another independent game developer and founder of a game studio, Giant Space Cat, was doxxed on 8chan for mocking Gamergate. She had to leave her home with her husband and receive death threats and rape threats on Twitter. She offered an $11,000 reward for information and prosecution on who was behind the online threats, and she also set up a legal fund for other game developers who had faced threats and doxing and online harassment. In April 2016, she was still facing so many threats and harassment that she still had a full-time legal team to document the threats. She ended up being diagnosed with PTSD from the harassment. Fun fact, terms like white knight and social justice warrior were popularized during Gamergate to silence any opposition. These things have become mainstream insults. Men who support women or feminists or come to their defense are called white knights and simps, and anyone who speaks out against right-leaning beliefs or bigotry of any kind is called a social justice warrior. Anyone who is anti-racist or in support of trans or gay rights is a social justice warrior. And apparently, to the right, that is a bad thing. But back to Gamergate. A man named Phil Fish was doxxed for defending Zoe Quinn, and he left the gaming industry. Two Gamergate critics were swatted. Felicia Day wrote about it, and almost immediately her personal information was posted online, causing her to receive harassing phone calls. Will Wheaton and a former former NFL player also spoke out against Gamergate. And Stephen Colbert criticized Gamergate, questioning why it was mainly women. And those participating in Gamergate who organized on message boards, they did things like keeping a blacklist of publications and also put together email and phone scripts so they could convince companies to not support or advertise on sites who spoke out against Gamergate. And as abusive gaslighters like to do, a lot of supporters of Gamergate denied that it actually took place or accused the victims of making it up. The people who were targeted by the misogynistic behaviors of those participating in Gamergate have continued to be harassed by right-wing media and men's rights websites. They still have to limit their public appearances in social media. Joan Donovan, who is the research director at Harvard's Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy, has said that Gamergate has been the template that the far right and the MAGA movement have used to organize online, and the techniques used in Gamergate that Trump's right-wing supporters use, such as memes, false allegations, and coordinated harassment. Misogyny, like any other form of bigotry, doesn't exist in a vacuum. There are crossovers of racism, homophobia, and even ableism among the different groups of the manosphere and the alt-right and white supremacists. Members of incel groups often express frustration with white women having sex with or choosing non-white partners as mates, with immigrants taking their jobs and hold a general belief that white men are superior over other races. This belief is often echoed by mass killers from the incel community who write manifestos before going on shooting or stabbing sprees, who often reference the idea that birth rates among whites are important to reinforce. I'll be doing an episode solely about this for this season, and that's going to be a heavy one. Among the incel community, having access to women as slaves for sex and breeding is often a hot topic, 
as is legalizing rape. You will hear male dating coaches talking about how women are the gatekeepers of sex and often use that as an, as an excuse as to why women who are promiscuous are bad. Bisexual or gay men are often excluded from incel spaces. The rigid and outdated gender roles that manosphere men want to box us into leave no room for any other gender expression other than heterosexual, cis male, and female. And as a whole, anyone who presents as feminine, such as trans women or gay men, are also met with misogyny alongside transphobia and homophobia. The people who post Manosphere content, including self-proclaimed egalitarians, and profess to not have an issue with gay or trans people, will also post content mocking trans people, but they will use these examples of people who use certain pronouns, like alien or wolf, and not acknowledge that these are pretty rare and not everyday examples. These outliers who make up a very small percentage of the trans and non-binary community are perfect scapegoats for people with transphobic beliefs to make fun of and to mock. They use these people as examples as if they are the norm, and that gives them an outlet to let their supporters know how they really feel about the trans community, and they also support the posts of people who make such content. They like to claim that the trans rights movement has gone too far because of these examples. Things like pronouns and the term cis are frequently mocked. They also side with TERFs or trans-exclusionary radical feminists on issues of trans women using women's bathrooms and also trans people in sport. They'll hold up these examples of men pretending to be women in order to be predatory, and they'll claim their problem lies in the fact that any man can slap on a dress and claim access to women's spaces by self-identifying as trans while not acknowledging the fact that it's still just predatory, lying men we should be afraid of, not trans women. The pickup artist community frequently encourages sex tourism and encourages men to find partners from countries where women are considered to be submissive to men. This sentiment is echoed by what we call passport bros these days. Men go in search of wives in countries where wives know how to cook and clean and don't hold Western values because American women are considered to be too masculine, too loud, too educated. We have too high a body count. We're boss bitches. We're too confident. We're not submissive, and therefore that means we're broken. And self-proclaimed red pill dating coaches have been known to encourage men to avoid women with a high body count, citing, among other reasons, trauma or mental illness as reasons that women are promiscuous. They also advise men to avoid women who take antidepressants or who see therapists. One such man who I found on TikTok who goes by the name Red Pill Dating made a whole nearly three-minute video talking about how women who take antidepressants are delusional and talked about them in a mocking voice like this. You can always tell that someone hates women by the contempt they don't try to hide either in their facial expressions or their voice. Mr. Red Pill Dating says that women who take antidepressants have cognitive issues, they're delusional, and should be avoided. And this holds with the theme that feminists are delusional or crazy as well, which is a theme among manosphere groups. Also, yes, if you're the type of guy who listens to Red Pill Dating coaches and podcast bros, please stay the fuck away from all women, not just the ones with a potential mental health issue. Being subjected to ableism is abusive and no one should have to deal with that. 
And how do you think a guy who thinks this way about mental illness is going to respond to a woman getting a physical illness? Probably not very well. We know the statistics of men who leave their wives when they are diagnosed with cancer, for instance. And this guy, he doesn't know psychology or psychiatry from a glory hole in the wall. Men's rights activists and father's rights activists have a bit of a crossover when it comes to what they're advocating for. Their advocacy extends to things like biases in the family court system, child custody issues, reproductive rights, domestic violence against men, and the draft for some examples. I've seen both MRAs and father's rights folks talk about men's mental health, and I've also seen them blame male suicide rates on women in general, feminists, and women divorcing men or taking their kids away. Or they blame male suicide rates on men having to pay excessive child support. What I find interesting about the men's rights community in particular is not the misogyny. It's not the clickbaity anti-women and anti-feminist video titles and the propaganda they produce, along with the tired tropes of the bitter, toxic, angry woman or feminist that they teach. It's not the lying or the cherry picking or the inflated and downright misrepresented statistics that they put out to their cult followers. It's the fact that they're spending so much time, the majority of their time, mocking and shitting on women, feminists, and single mothers. I've seen several men who come from these spaces admit publicly that talking about men's issues doesn't get that much attention but start talking shit about women and single mothers or bashing feminists and men will swarm all over it. It says something about their true beliefs and motivations. What I also found in my research and my time in the manosphere is that the incel community will openly encourage and even egg other incels on and tell them to commit suicide. But I don't see any men's rights or other manosphere groups expressing outrage about men encouraging other men to kill themselves. Why are the men not policing themselves and the behavior of anyone but women? We know why. This reminds me of a quote that I keep seeing. Like a compass needle that points north, a man's accusing finger always finds a woman. This is from Khaled Hosseini, who wrote The Kite Runner. Why are MRAs and other manosphere groups focusing on things like false allegations, which are objectively rare? Why are they focusing so hard on trying to prove that there is some conspiracy, that women and feminists are to be shamed and discredited? Why aren't they talking about things like Kevin Spacey's trial? I recently saw this all over my Instagram, and the man who drove for Spacey talked about the sexual harassment that he received while working for Spacey. It was a news post. And... All in the comments were men accusing the victim of being at fault and victim blaming him for having allegedly allowed it. Never mind the power imbalance between a famous wealthy man and someone who worked for him. But all I hear are crickets. And we know the answer to this. It's that women and feminists are a threat. I have seen men's rights and father's rights creators swarm women who they claim to be toxic on social media. I have seen them run feminist activists off of places like TikTok. Feminist activists who work in public sectors who speak to the news and teach about violence against women. Several men's rights and father's rights creators will gang up together and make videos trashing women for whatever they deem to be toxic behavior. 
The woman will get threatened and harassed and doxxed and the bigger men's rights and father's rights creators who have participated in instigating the witch hunt will claim ignorance. Oh, I can't help what my followers do, they will smirk, and then they will go and do it all over again a couple of days later. They'll call attention to women who have never publicly claimed to be feminists and lie that any woman who says something they consider toxic, who they use as an example, is a feminist, all to suit their narrative. They will platform abusive men and dox women and call CPS or threaten to call CPS on single mothers for making jokes about their child's deadbeat father on the internet. They will participate in women's safety groups so they can share information about what women share with other women about toxic men or abusers. There are, they are a danger to the safety of women and what is sad and incredibly shameful is that a lot of these people, not all, um, but the ones who put women in danger of abusive men on the internet or in their personal lives, they're women. Can you imagine being a woman and claiming to care about the safety of both men and women and then going online month after month, year after year, and putting women in danger? But that is what this is all about at the end of the day, putting women in danger. What better way to shut women or feminists up or scare them into silence or silence them speaking out against an abuser? Put them in danger. This is the theme of the Manosphere collectively. Put women and feminists in danger instead of speaking about real men's issues. Lastly on my list today, we have MGTOWs or men going their own way. They couldn't just stay their own way though. Their subreddit was so toxic when it came to talking about women that it was banned in 2021 for breaking Reddit's terms of service that are against promoting violence and hate. The ideology seems to have come about in the early 2000s and is also adjacent with the alt-right and white supremacist movements, with both believing that feminism has ruined society and men are the oppressed. Milo Yiannopoulos popularized MGTOW with, what else, a Breitbart article, called The Sexodus, back in 2014. As with other Manosphere groups, MGTOW members were found to participate in the harassment of women online, in spaces like Twitter, and the Southern Poverty Law Center has categorized the MGTOWs as having a male supremacist ideology. The group is misogynist and anti-feminist, as are other Manosphere groups. They believe that men should stay away from women, that women in marriage are dangerous to men in our supposed gynocentric society, and believe that women are hypergamous. And with very similar ideology to the red pill community, they believe that women sleep around and will leave a man when she finds a more high value man, one who then treats her like shit, which reinforces her belief in feminism. And they share the same terminology as other manosphere groups and also use the red pill, blue pill metaphor from the matrix. Now I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. These men and women are not experts. They are generally not sociologists or psychologists or doctors. They're willful ignorance with a recording device and sometimes a microphone. They're angry and disenfranchised men who want their place in society and patriarchy to stay unchanged. Keep that in mind. The sheer audacity that you have to have to go online in front of tens of thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of followers and spout outdated sexist and misogynistic beliefs, harmful misinformation about relationships, and even dangerous misinformation about mental health. It's astounding, and it's a big fucking problem.
But then I don't know why any of this surprises me anymore. These men are clutching at the last desperate straws of their narrow worldview collapsing and they're kicking and screaming. They're going out with a bang or with an extinction burst as trauma therapist Amber Rice talks about in one of her TikTok videos. I studied this at my university when I was getting my psych degree and I never thought I'd be discussing it on a podcast about the manosphere. We had virtual rats who we ran behavioral experiments on. I named all of mine after exes who had been manipulative or abusive in some way. It was fun, and I wonder if my professor knew what I was doing. So anyway, in behavioral science, an extinction burst is when a behavior greatly increases in intensity before it's extinguished or snuffed out. These men in the manosphere and who are manosphere adjacent have lost control over women and they're going to try to do whatever they can to get it back before they realize that isn't going to happen. We're never going to be under their collective thumb again and some of us are prepared to fight to protect the younger generations of women. I told a friend of mine recently that I don't mind throwing my hat back in the ring and if I get targeted or doxxed or threatened again, oh well, I guess it's old news by now. If you've made it this far in the episode, I want to thank you for sticking around. In the next couple of episodes, we're going to talk about some personal experiences of the networked harassment by men's rights and father's rights creators on social media platforms. And the week after, we'll cover some big names or founding members of the Manosphere and men's rights spaces. I want to talk about Paul Elam, Pearl, Fresh and Fit, among others. And remember, everyone, to uplift women, fuck the patriarchy, and don't fuck misogynists.